Good morning, everyone. I was away last week, uh, and I really missed you all. Uh, it's just lovely uh, to be back with, uh, with us all uh, together this morning. Uh, so very, very warm welcome, especially if you're visiting or if you're new. Uh, it's great uh, that you're able to join uh, with us this morning, and a warm welcome to all of those who are watching uh, online. Uh, this morning, we're continuing our series looking at uh, the uh, last few chapters of the book of Romans. And Colin's going to be preaching on Romans 13 uh, this morning. And it's living as a Christian citizen. What does that actually mean? So we look forward to uh, Colin opening that, uh, that up for us uh, later this morning. Uh, but before we start, let's just take a moment just to remember why we're here. We gather together uh, because the Lord Jesus came and he lived the life that we should have lived. And then he died the death that we deserve in our place so that we can be adopted into the family of God. An incredible privilege. And we come and we gather together this morning uh, to remember that, to allow those truths to sink deep into our own hearts, to encourage one another, but also to bless and give thanks to the one who's made that possible. So let's just take a moment now, uh, perhaps close our eyes, bow our heads, and then I will pray for us. I'll put down the distractions of the morning. Heavenly Father, do thank you so much for gathering us uh, together. Father, we do thank you that we come to worship uh, the one true living God. Thank you that by your spirit you are present with us this morning. Father, would you make our hearts expectant? Expect that uh, you will speak to us this morning as we journey through the service as your word is preached, as we pray, as we sing songs to remind us of those gospel truths, would you, uh, by your spirit, just encourage our hearts this morning? Might uh, this morning be a pleasing aroma before your throne of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I'm going to invite Val to come up uh, in a moment uh, to, uh, to read God's word, uh, and then Colin will come and speak to us. Uh, but let me uh, just pray uh, for them both uh, ahead of that. Uh, Heavenly Father, do thank you so much uh, for your word. Thank you for uh, the truths that it contains. Uh, Father, do pray for Val as uh, she comes to read. Uh, pray that she would uh, read clearly. Uh, she would... Uh, uh, speak powerfully uh, your words, uh, uh, anointed by your spirit. And I do pray that uh, uh, the truths of your word would uh, settle uh, deeply in our hearts. And I pray that as Colin uh, speaks to us this morning, uh, might he speak boldly, uh, help him to speak clearly. Um, Father, I do pray that uh, you would ready our hearts uh, to receive what you have to say to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're reading from Romans chapter 13, which is on page 1140 in the Church Bible. And we're starting at verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, Whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. 
Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants, who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments... You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commands there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Thank you, Val. Please do, if you've got your Bibles there, please do keep, uh, keep them open as we follow along. And let's pray as we come to God's word. God, we thank you for your word. Uh, We pray, Lord, that you would uh, give us soft hearts, that we would uh, respond to it in faith, that as challenging as it may be, that we may uh, seek to live it out as we seek to bring you glory in every aspect of our lives. Uh, This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. When you read through the letter to the Romans, uh, you realize that it is a letter which is truly glorious. It's a wonderful, wonderful uh, book in the New Testament. But you also realize the other thing, that that Romans is really challenging. Romans is really challenging. And as you read through it, it it's a mind-stretching and soul-searching book. Uh, full of awesome chapters and full of chapters which really do stretch the heart. And and no chapter is more challenging than when it comes to the application of chapter 13 of Romans. As one of the big questions that arises is that as Christians, how should we respond to those in authority over us? 
how should we respond to the government? In preparing uh, this message, uh, my fiance she phoned me and she said, what are you doing at the moment? And I said, I'm thinking about submitting to the government. <laughs> to which she said, why? What, what have the government done now? <laughs> because when it comes to the government, uh, the, the real challenge and the temptation, honestly, is to, to demonize them, to complain about how immoral they are, how incompetent they are, about how they make crazy decisions and about how some people can't even wear a seatbelt sometimes. But then on one side, there's the one side to, to demonize them. And then on the other side, there's the temptation to idolize them, to look to the government for salvation rather than Jesus. As many as you watch and read in the media, they look at the government and they call the media to do everything, to impose more taxation and to resolve every single problem that we might face. However, as Christians, we are called to live differently, to think differently. Indeed, we're called to respond to authority, not in a way to idolize them or to demonize them, but to to honor them, to seek to honor them, to live with renewed minds as we live as renewed people. Which makes us think about really how we should be living as a Christian citizen. What does it mean to live as a Christian citizen in the world today? And we're going to look about that look at that in three different aspects. One is it's submission to authority. Secondly, personal responsibility. And thirdly, living in light of the last day. Submission to authority, personal responsibility, and living in the light of the last day. So firstly, we're thinking about submission to authority. The Apostle Paul, he's, he's writing to Christians in Rome around 57 AD. Christians who are under the, the, the Roman Emperor, um, not at a time of massive persecution. This is before uh, things become uh, really severe in persecution. And he writes to them from verse 1 to 3 saying this, let, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. Paul's point here is to say to all Christians, both to those Christians living in the first century in Rome and to Christians living in the 21st century here in England, to submit themselves to the governing authorities. That is the call for all of us. And why should we do that? Why, why should we respond like that? Because ultimately God has established those authorities over us. He has put them in place. We may have voted to them, uh, voted for them, but it is ultimately God that gives them their authority and power. Which means that there may be times that, that we do not like what the government does. We don't like what decisions they make. 
But we need to seek to live lives of obedience to God, which means living lives obedient to the government. And this is really such a, a counter-cultural idea, is it not? Because as you think of most mindsets today, nobody wants to submit to anyone, especially the government. But as the Lord has shown us mercy in abundance, then an act, in an act of worship in our lives, it is to submit ourselves to those in authority over us. Jesus himself, he had many interactions with the authorities. And there's the, the well-known episode of the, the, the time when an expert of the law, he speaks to Jesus about paying taxes. And Jesus asks for a coin, and he says these famous words, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. In other words, do you see the image on the coin? That is Caesar's. So give that to Caesar. Give what he is due. But if both you and Caesar are made in the image of God, then give to God what he is due. Or as maybe as Romans 12 might put it, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So don't just submit to the authorities. Submit yourself to God who put the authorities there. Because God has placed Caesar where he is. He has placed our king where he is. He's placed our prime minister where he is. He's placed our council CEO where she is. He's placed our local MP where he is. He's placed your head teacher, your school teacher, your boss, your supervisor, whoever it is that has authority over you. God has given them that authority. And so, therefore, as long as it is safe to do so, we're called to submit to their authority. It is, if you like, an act of worship to do that, to follow them, to obey them. However, I'm sure the question may be, yes, but does that mean every episode I need to submit to them? Do we really need to submit to all authority all the time? Well, I think it's helpful to see the the role of authority, as Paul says from verse 4 onwards. He says, For the the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of of conscience. Those who God has given authority are in fact God's servants. The word that we get for deacon is the very same word. Like God, God people that, that God has given authority, they are God's deacons, God's servants to us. So they're, they're really to be used for, authorities are to be used for God's good purposes, whatever that might be. As it is, as Paul says in verse 3, that those in authorities are really to commend what is good. They're to commend it. As the government is there really for, for the good of the people. The government should encourage good works. And so maybe if we're involved in work that is good, then the government should commend that work. Maybe we think of work with the poor, with, with widows, with single mums, with young children, 
with sick children, with refugees, with the elderly, with the sick, those with addictions, those in education, those in healthcare, those in the police force, those who help in various ways doing various things which are of good works. Those in authority should reward good deeds, should commend good deeds. As the government is, is primarily to do, to do two things. One is to commend what is good, and the other one is to punish wrongdoing. To commend what is good and to punish wrongdoing. The government's main mandate then is to promote good and to punish evil. That is really their, their main call. And yet there may be times, in fact it may in fact be even our Christian duty to disobey the government. One commentator, Kent, Kent Hughes, he helpfully lays out three reasons, times we might need to, to go against the government. He says, firstly, that if it, if it violates a clear command of God, you think, for example, of, of Paul, uh, sorry, of Peter in Acts 4 and 5, where the, the authorities tell him not to preach the gospel, and he says, yes, sure, I'm going to carry on. And in the same way, that should be the same for us. If we're told not to preach the gospel, we have to keep going and preach the gospel. And secondly, it's an immoral or an, an unethical act. Um, so maybe someone in authority over you, perhaps your, your boss, might say, I need you to, to fudge the books. I need you to not pay the tax in this area. Then we cannot submit to that authority. That would be un, immoral or unethical. And thirdly, he says, to go against conscience. And this is a really gray area. It's a really great area because different Christians will take different positions. But it doesn't, it doesn't just allow us to do what we want and call it conscience. But there may be times when different people land in different places. They make different decisions. But whatever the case is, we need to continue to love one another despite what decisions we may make based on our Christian conscience. Because ultimately, overall, the principle is to submit ourselves to those in authority. As Paul says, halfway through uh, verse 4, he says, Rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Uh, The key phrase there is, bear the sword. Bear the sword. Uh, God gives the state uh, the the power to punish wrongdoing. He gives them uh, the power uh, to implement justice, if you like. That is God's given authority to the state and the state you could argue has the power uh, to implement capital punishment as well uh, that it bears the sword in many recent years in the uk that is that's no longer the case because of miscarriages of justice but we could argue that they have still got that authority another aspect when it comes to bearing the sword is in uh, in the military Uh, Certainly, when it comes to the police force, those who are in the police, they they are implementing justice. And in the same way, you could say that as well for the military. Again, it is not good to go against conscience in this. So if we we think it is wrong, then we're not to do so. However, as the, the Lord has given the state the power of the sword, then implementing justice for the state in combat could be one application of that. The, the moral dilemma comes in when the war itself is not just. Um, and I'm sure many of you have read recently of soldiers who are from Russia, arrive in Ukraine, realize that this is not what they signed up for, and then abandon their post, knowing that it is not 
a moral uh, right to continue. And so there is many different things to wrestle through. You could stay in Romans 13 for three or four weeks because it is a chapter which is packed full of Christian ethics, how to live in the world as a Christian. And many Christians will arrive at different places. But we need to continue to love one another. We need to be, I guess, humble in this, prayerful in this, and seeking the Lord for wisdom and how we would live as Christians in the world. Because we're, li- we're called ultimately to live in submission to authority. And secondly, we're called to live with personal responsibility. As Paul says from verse 6, he says, This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you, what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. The authorities, as we know, are, they are God's servants. God uses them for our good. And in that light, we, we are to, to honor them as we seek to, to pay our taxes to them. Possibly the most challenging call on our lives is not just to, to pay taxes, but as it says there, to give them respect and honor. Respect and honor. Because many of us, I'm sure, can, we can easily pay taxes. But do we show the government respect and honor? Again, if you pick up any newspaper or read almost any article online about the government, normally it is being disrespectful and dishonoring about them. And our calling, and it is a very high one, is not to conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And therefore, before we think of criticizing the world, criticizing the government as, as the world does as well, the question we have to ask is, are we praying for them? Do you pray for the government? Before we criticize them, do you pray for them? Because we can all absorb the, the news articles of the day. But the question is, are we lifting the people in authority up in prayer? And let us not be a, a people who complain, but a people who recognize the very, very hard decisions that those in authority have to make and instead humble ourselves and pray for those in authority. As Paul says, really that, that posture, our posture should be one of humility. As he says from verse 8 and onwards, he says, let, let, no doubt, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Paul says that if we were to sum up all of God's commands, it would be to say that, we are to love our neighbor as ourself. And so we may ask, well, what does that look like in practice? He, he gives us four examples here, doesn't he? He gives us examples of do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, and do not covet what others have. And there are many more that, that Paul could list from the, from the Old Testament as he goes through it. But interestingly, he doesn't do that. He just gives the principles here. And if, 
in modern day life, if you, if you travel to London uh, any time recently, you'll see that in the city of London, there are instructions telling people how to live. Uh, words which tell people to be kind, to be patient, and to be considerate to others. They're all over the underground and many of the buses as well. Because when individuals don't take responsibility for their own lives and love their neighbors as themselves, then what often happens is the state take control, takes control. The state legislates uh, morality via the law. And as you look at each one of them, each one of these things, what do they all have in common? They're all commands. They're all commands to do. Because the law, both the law of the land and the law of God, are not designed to change people's hearts. But they're designed to to reward goodness and to restrain evil. Because it's only the love and the mercy of God that will change our hearts. And so therefore, those who who command others to, to be good, to be patient, to be considerate, well, they actually often fail to live these things out themselves. They do become, if you like, secular Pharisees, telling people how to live, but not actually doing so themselves. As only the love of God will actually change our hearts. It is only God's love that changes us and makes us want to obey. As Paul says at the very end uh, of verse 10, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Our problem is that we do not love God as we should. We do not love our neighbor as we should. But the good news is that there is one who fulfilled the law in full. There is one who is the embodiment of love. And that is our Lord Jesus. As the Lord Jesus showed his amazing love for us in dying on the cross for us. He is the epitome of love. He fulfilled the law for those who broke God's law. And so that through faith in him, we can come to know the love of our heavenly father through Jesus. We can know the fullness of his love, which would transform us to live differently. And therefore, in light of God's love for us in the Lord Jesus, then we can look back on all the commands of God through the lenses of love. We can look at all the commands that God lays out and see them through the lens of the love of Jesus. And in that way, we have the desire, the desire to live for the Lord because he has filled our hearts with his love and his mercy. We have the desire to love our neighbor as we should and that way, it keeps us away from, from legalism because we don't, we don't obey God to try and receive his love. No, we have God's love. And therefore, we delight in obeying him. We can live a life of love and obedience because of his love to us. And we see that living as a Christian citizen, it, well, it means living a life of submission to authority, of personal responsibility, and lastly, we're called to, to, to be people who are living in the light of the last day. Having spoken about and loving our neighbor, Paul says uh, from verse 11 to 12, he says, 
he says this. And doing this, understanding the present time, the, the hour has already come to you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Paul talks here in these two verses about Jesus' first coming when he came to bring salvation and about his second coming when he will come in judgment. In other words, because Jesus has come and he will come again, the call is to wake up. He uses the expression in verse 11, wake up from your slumber. As it may be a little bit like uh, having a cold shower in the morning. And speaking to someone uh, recently within the church family, they, they said to me, you know, you sh- I would really recommend having a cold shower in the morning. It's, it's very good for you. To which I said, I'm, I'm not sure if I, I won't regret having a cold shower in the morning. I, I quite like my warm one. <laughs> But after some, some research and actually giving it some thought, I realized that cold showers are actually very good for you. And so for the past uh, two weeks, each morning, I've, yes, <laughs> yes, especially this morning, it was very cold. Uh, but when you, when you get out, you do want to shout. <laughs> and because I'm in a house by myself, I can. Uh, but you are fully awake. And certainly, and ready for the day ahead. <laughs> That's something of, something really of the idea that, that Paul wants to get across. To wake up. Wake up. Not live as you did, but live for Jesus now. Don't live as you did, but live for Jesus now. As he says, you look there from uh, halfway through verse 12 to the end. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. As those who, who know God's love personally, as those who have experienced that love for ourselves, well, we need to put on our clothes, put on the right clothes. To not, to not give way to the old ways, to not give permission or opportunity to the deeds of the flesh, the deeds of the dark. Don't give ourselves permission for that. Now, instead, we're, we're to take off the old clothes, to take off the old way of living and put on the new. We put on the bright, brilliant robes of Jesus the righteous robes of our Lord Jesus. Because as we step each day into the grace of God, we realize that he has taken all of our sins away. He has removed our filthy rags. He has given us clean white robes, the righteous robes of Jesus, that we might live for him now. We don't live as we did, but we live for him. This is who you are now. A people of Jesus, a people that Jesus has shown mercy to, a people who are loved by God the Father, people who have a new heart, who have a new life, who have a new mind, a new way of thinking. How can we not just give all that we are to him, to submit our lives to him in every aspect of our life? 
as we commit to the Lord in prayer, saying, with my body, I honor you. All that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. Within the love of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a moment of quiet, and then I'll pray. Father God, we thank you for your amazing love for us in the Lord Jesus. We thank you that love is the fulfillment of the law, that Jesus has fulfilled the law for us, and that we can live that out as we walk in step with the Spirit. We pray, Father, that as we are challenged with what it means to live as a Christian in the world, that you would help us to submit to authorities, to honor them, to respect them, to pray for them. We pray as well that you would help us to live lives which love our neighbors, that we would be responsible in how we live our lives. Help us to live in the light of the last day, to, to wake up and to put on the robes of Jesus. We pray this in his good and precious name. Amen. So let us pray. Lord, as we come before you in prayer, we first humbly acknowledge that our ruling government is is established and upheld by you. And in light of this, we pray for our Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, that your Holy Spirit would guide him towards a godly and right wisdom as he leads our country, to be bold as he seeks to uphold the laws of this land, still based on biblical law and yet ebbing away as secularism gets hold. To be servant-hearted in his quest for equality, not according to man's notion, but upon God's truth. To be strong in the face of evil, to stand up to oppressors and warmongers. We pray for the many Christians working in Westminster, for the strength to faithfully serve you in the face of so much opposition. We thank you for organisations that do seek to support Christians in Westminster, Christians in government, Christians in politics, Christians in parliament, the work of the chaplain to the speaker, the quiet mentoring of many MPs by faithful Christians. We also thank you for all the Christian organisations that do advocate or have a voice on God's behalf within parliament, in particular for care, Christian action, research and education and the Christian Institute. Their work is getting increasingly more challenging. They need our prayers. A prayer from the Care Diary this week. Sovereign God, thank you for Care's leadership programme where graduates work in placements and meet each Friday for theological study, input from Christians engaged in the public square, prayer and other activities. Please equip them for their future leadership. Amen. We pray for our local authorities, our local MP, Greg Smith, who has asked for prayer for his efforts with government to come through in terms of his ask for funding for the new Long Crendon Health and Wellbeing Centre. For Buckingham Council, in particular for Rachel Shimon, the Chief Executive, She requests prayers for leading the council's response to health and care pressures so that they can support people to get the care and treatment they need. 
for wisdom in doing all they can to support residents with cost of living challenges, working to help the most deprived communities to have the same opportunities as others in the county, and ensuring that they work to improve all our services amidst the, amidst, amidst the pressures of increased demand and limited resources. And on a personal level, Rachel requests our prayers for personal resilience and emotional balance to allow her to do all she can in her professional life, as well as maintaining a sense of balance in her personal life to support her son and family. So as we reflect that love fulfills the law, we think of our own spheres of influence, our families, our work or school colleagues, our neighbours, our communities and our church. And we pray now for those who are struggling with ill health, coping with ongoing medical treatment, for those who feel broken, grieving, or lonely. And in particular this morning, we lift Hem Helen Hemsworth before you, Lord, as she mourns the recent death of her father. Help us to shine your light and peace into these situations. Help us to be living witnesses to your commands. And help us when these relationships are difficult, strained, or broken, we pray. And finally, Lord, we pray for ourselves that we might be clothed in the righteous garments of the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing how loved we are by the living God who gives us the promise of eternal life. Thank you, God. Amen. Karen, thank you very much indeed. Uh, that does bring us uh, to the end of our service uh, this morning. And uh, my prayer is that as you've journeyed through the service this morning, the Lord's spoken to you. Uh, if he has, uh, please, please, please pray with someone before you go. Um, pray with the person that you came with. Pray with someone around you. Pray with someone who's wearing a red prayer ministry lanyard. But do not go without praying. Uh, do join us this evening as uh, we continuing, uh, continue our series uh, looking at jar, Psalms of Joyful Praise. Uh, we'll be opening up Psalm 145 this evening. Please do come along at 6 o'clock uh, for that. Uh, I can think of a few more uh, hopeful words than the doxology at the end of the book of Romans. Let's, uh, let me share that with you uh, as we close. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel... And the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen.